This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. about the restoring power of God's mercy. You know, as believers, we, a lot of times we say Happy Easter, but we also say it this way. We say Happy Resurrection Day, because for us, it's all about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, the resurrection of Jesus is a powerful reality. You know, I know sometimes the world looks at it and we look at it as a historical event, and it was an historical event. But I'm telling you, it's a powerful reality that reminds us that God is present in our world. He is present and cares about you and I individually, no matter how insignificant we may think we are. God has shown His love and His mercy toward us. And so I want to ask you a question today because... You know, if you're like most of us, there's some things in your life that are not exactly the way you would like them to be. You know, part of of, of really the essence of what the resurrection was about, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, was about bringing a restoration of God's will and God's purpose and God's plan for us, bringing it back into right relationship with Him. Because whenever we are out of sync, if you will, with the Spirit of God and the will of God, things just don't work well. They just don't work well. You know, it's just like if you own an automobile or a, or a motorcycle or something like that. You know what? It works best when you operate it according to the builders, the one who build it, built it, it's instruction, doesn't it? It's the same way with us. God made us, and He made us with a plan and a purpose. And, you know, He's given us an instruction manual now to help us understand how His will is to fit into our life. So a question I want to ask you today as we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this. What is the restoring power of God's mercy? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And how do I receive it? What is that restoring mercy? We're talking about the mercies of God. And it's given its greatest expression in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read a scripture there. And then that we're, going to, we're going to really begin our lesson from there. Hebrews 9 and verse 4. You know, anybody ever seen the movie uh, Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark? Well, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant, of course, in the movie, they, they change it all up and everything, you know. They're, you know, he's an adventurist archaeologist looking for this lost Ark because uh, of the value it has historically, but also they think it has power inherent in it, and everybody's looking for it to get it. But you know, that Ark of the Covenant, we're going to read some scripture here about it. But it was, it represented God wanting to restore His mercy and His plan to Israel. But the problem with that in the Old Testament was that it, it was everybody outside looking in. 
It was outside looking in. Do you ever feel like that in your life you're outside and you're looking in? You're trying to look in. You're trying to figure it all out. You're trying to work it all out. In Hebrews chapter 9, pardon me, verse 4, he talks about it. He's talking about the ark here. He said the ark which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, and which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, what we know as the Ten Commandments. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now if you were to look at the Ark of the Covenant, it would be roughly, it was a box 27 wide, 27 deep, and about 54 inches long. And it was covered in pure gold. And inside it were these three items. If you were, to, we're talking about outside looking in. If you were to look into this covenant, you would see three things. First, the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. The Ten Commandments representing God's righteousness. God says, this is the way. If you want to please me, if you want to live up to, to my righteous character and my righteousness, then here's, here they are. And we all know, we won't go into those, but we look at the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know the Ten Commandments or you know the gist of them. This was in that, that chest called the Ark of the Covenant and it represented God's righteousness. Now the problem was, the Bible says, nobody could live up to it. This is why I say we're, we're, we're on the outside looking in. But those Ten Commandments, they represented God's righteousness. He said, this is the measuring stick. You live up to the law, you live up to this, and you can be accepted. But everybody was on the what? Outside looking in because nobody could do it. The other thing that was in there was the pot of manna. You remember the manna? That every day when the Israelites got up in the wilderness, there was manna that most uh, the scholars, it, it kind of looked like snow, you know, small little flakes, white flakes of snow on the ground. They gathered that manna up and they used it to, to make manna bread, you know, manna bread. I talked to you about that. Manna cotty. All kinds of things. But they had the manna. It was, but you know what that represented? It represented God's provision for man. God's provision for man. We're talking about well, from the outside looking in. We're looking at God's righteous nature represented by the Ten Commandments in this ark. Now, the manna that represented God's provision for man in this ark. And then the third thing that was there was Aaron's rod. Now, Aaron was of the tribe of Levi. If you remember, Israel was, had 12 sons, and those 12 sons eventually became 12 tribes as they grew there those 400 years in Egypt. And each one had a prince over that tribe. And so there came up a dispute about, you know, who was going to be uh, the one that's going to serve God in the tabernacle. So God said, do this. Take 12 sticks, each, each representing each tribe, each prince on each tribe. He said, put them in the tabernacle where the presence of God is, and then come in the next day and take them out. Moses did that. He put in 12 sticks. They were just dead sticks. Then he went the next morning. He brought them out. 11 of them were still just dead sticks, but Aaron's rod had sprouted leaves and almonds. 
And Aaron's rod represents the acceptance of God. Jesus said this, didn't he? He said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. But see, at this point, we're on the outside looking in. We're looking into this chest. We're looking into these things just like the Israelites did. And we're looking at all of these things that God, that's in that chest. But we realize at this point, we're on the outside looking in. I can't keep the law. I can't keep the Ten Commandments. I know I can't. I need the provision that only God can provide for me. That, that peace, that life that only He can provide for me. And I long to be back in fellowship and to be accepted by God. And so we're on the outside looking in. But notice he said over all of this, over, over all this was the mercy seat. Oh, hallelujah. The mercy seat. Turn over, if you will, to Exodus, just a moment, 25. The place of mercy. Exodus 25. And I want to read a scripture there. Exodus 25. Verse 22, God is, I'm going to back up to 21, God is speaking to Moses. He said, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. Now, remember what we said was in the ark? The tablet, the commandments represented the holiness and righteousness of God. The the pot of manna was in there representing God's provision. Aaron's rod that budded representing what? God's acceptance of us. God's choosing of us. And he said, now, over all of that, he said, he said you shall put, put the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet with you, the mercy seat. Back up. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. God did not speak to them from the tablet of the Ten Commandments. He did not speak to them from the golden pot of manna or Aaron's rod that that budded. He spoke from the mercy seat. And that is where God is speaking to each of us today. Even though we still cannot measure up and keep all of God's righteous commandments and laws, even though we feel like that we're inadequate, that we, we, we don't really belong. God says, I am speaking to you today, not from what's in the chest, but what's over the chest, which is the mercy seat. God is speaking to us. This is where God meets us. When, when that condemning, that voice of condemnation and accusation and guilt comes against your mind, listen, you can be sure that's not God. I said, you can be sure that's not God. Because he says, I'm going to speak to you from the mercy seat. The mercy seat was also where the priest sprinkled the blood. And the blood was what? What covered all the sins, the iniquities, and the shortcomings, the failures, the faults of the people. And God said, from the mercy seat where the blood is sprinkled, he said, that's, how I'm going to, that's where I'm going to speak to you from. I'm going to speak to you from mercy. I'm going to speak to you from grace. I'm going to speak to you from forgiveness. I'm going to speak to you from a place of restoring your life. Mm. This is where God meets us. Turn back over, if you will, to Hebrews 9. I should have told you to just keep your place there, but that's okay. 
Hebrews 9. The place of mercy. This is where God meets us. This is where God speaks to us. And He's speaking to you today from a place of mercy. Maybe you've missed it. Maybe you, you've really messed up your life. Maybe you've filed things up. But I've got good news for you. God's speaking to you not from what's in the chest, not from the Ten Commandments. He's not speaking of you of, from where you ought to be and what you ought to have done, but He's speaking to you from the mercy seat, declaring what Jesus has done, what Jesus has provided. Jesus has provided everything that I could not provide for myself. Remember we said that mercy was about providing all things that, that I could not provide for myself. Remember we said truth reveals my need, but mercy meets my need. The Ten Commandments, what was in the chest, revealed what my need was. I needed to measure up to God's righteous standard, the Ten Commandments. I needed the life-giving sustenance that the Spirit of God provided, the manna. Jesus, remember Jesus said, I am the bread that's come down from heaven. He that eats of me will live forever. And it also represents that, that being chosen. I needed to be brought back into fellowship with God. And so God is speaking to us today from His mercy. Yes, truth may reveal my need, but it's mercy that's going to meet my need today. And that's where God's speaking to us from. In Hebrews 9, and we're going to pick it up at about verse 7. He's speaking again about this tabernacle. He said, but into the second part, the Holy of Holies, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Now notice this. Then look down in verse 14, that same chapter. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without spot to God to cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now Moses' tabernacle was a type and an example. But the scriptures here in Hebrews says that Jesus entered into the heavenly tabernacle and he went into that tabernacle and took his own blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And it says that that blood is an incorruptible blood. Why? Because it's the blood of the Son of God. You know, they say in the natural, it only takes just for uh, almost as soon as blood is exposed to the, to the air, it begins to corrupt. It begins to break down. But Jesus' blood, because it is the blood of the Son of God, it has eternal, everlasting life in it. That blood never corrupts. And it ever is there on the mercy seat of heaven declaring forgiveness, mercy, righteousness, restoration, healing, fellowship, and all of the other benefits that are ours. It says it will cleanse your conscience from dead works. You know what dead works? That's all that stuff that I feel like I've got to do to measure up. The Bible calls that dead works. See, there's good works as believers that we can do. But the good works, they only, what, reveal the mercy and the grace that God has worked in our lives. 
And so now we do those good works, what? To illuminate and to declare that God is at work in my life. And so those good works, but they don't get you saved, do they? They don't get you saved. It only comes, salvation only comes, what? By faith in the blood of Jesus, what He has finished. And the resurrection of Jesus is a declaration by God that everything that Jesus did is finished. It was sufficient. And there is nothing that needs to be added to it. Oh, hallelujah. See, if He'd stayed in the grave, that would have meant, uh-oh. Something didn't work. Something wasn't right. But the fact that He was raised from the dead, that He ascended to the right hand of the Father, it's a declaration forever that that blood is on the mercy seat. Now, let's talk about the blood on the mercy seat just a little bit more uh, as we look at this. Let's look in Romans 3.25. Let's look over there in Romans 3.25. Not only did Jesus sprinkle His blood on the mercy seat, the Bible declares this, that Jesus is our mercy seat. Mm. Jesus is our mercy seat. In Romans 3 and verse 25, listen to this, being justified or declared righteous freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus, Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith. Now, what does that word mean? That, I mean, that sounds like a good theological word, propitiation. <laughs> Makes you sound all theological and smart when you say that, doesn't it? You know what? If you will look this up, and you can look this up in Strong's uh, 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 Concordance, and you know what you will see there? That it literally means and is translated in other places, mercy seat. So we could read it this way and not be wrong. It says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a mercy seat by His blood. So not only did He go in the heavenly heavenlies and sprinkle His blood there, but the Bible says that Jesus Christ Himself now, what? He's become our mercy seat. Remember the mercy seat was between what? The law, God's provision, my acceptance. It, was, it covered all that, and it was between that and what? The presence of God. The Bible says that Jesus now is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He is our high priest. He is our what? Mercy seat, our go-between between what? The Father in us. Now we are accepted. And because Jesus is alive forever, seated at the right hand of the Father, we never have to fear that our salvation is incomplete. Oh, hallelujah. We never have to fear that God will not accept us. We'll never have to fear that God's provision will not be there for us. We never have to be afraid that God will reject us. We are chosen. We are in the beloved. We are called by His name. We're accepted by Him. We're talking about the restoring power of God's mercy. 
we're no longer on the outside looking in. Oh, hallelujah. But we're at the place of the reality of mercy. You know, Cindy and I have done a little bit of traveling uh, uh, over the years through nations. And, and at times, you know, we'll, we, we, we go through the tourist thing. You know, we'll go through some uh, uh, palace or something, you know. And, you know, and they'll take us through there and they'll say, you know, here's where the king slept. And here's where the king sat on the throne and ruled and reigned. And here's where they did this and that. And, you know, and I, all, I find history very fascinating. It's very fascinating, and, you know, and you're, you're looking at this chair, and it's 500 years old, or it's 800 years old, and you think that, you know, they lived, and they reigned, and they did all that, but you know what? That's all history. I'm so glad that we do not serve and worship an historical Jesus. You know, maybe you've been to Jerusalem. You've been to the Mount of Olives or you've been to other places, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and you've, you've seen this place and that place where Jesus walked or Jesus preached. And I, that's fascinating and wonderful and great and all that. But I'm so glad that He's alive right now, that His mercy is available to whoever calls on the name of the Lord, and that today I can be accepted. I can have the provision of God for my life. He can be, his strength is my strength. His joy is my joy. His peace is my peace. Hallelujah. Christ has become what? Our mercy seat. He's your mercy seat this morning. Now, let's talk about this restoring power of mercy. There's, I call the three R's here. Redeemed, reconciled, and restored. The restoring power of mercy. First, we are redeemed. What does that mean? There was a price. The price has been paid for my sin. You know, you talk to people. I talk to people in the world who are not believers, who are not Christians. And, you know, and they, you know, they say, well, I don't, I don't get Christianity. It's that bloody religion, they call it. All the stuff about the blood and everything. But listen, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, what? There is no remission of sin. Listen. When we talk about God's mercy, when we talk about God's grace, when we talk about God's unconditional love, all of that is made available and comes to us. Why? Because what? Jesus redeemed us. He paid a price. There was a price to be paid. You know, the Bible says that Jesus suffered and died. It didn't say Jesus went on a vacation and died. He suffered and died. There was a price that was paid for our sins. Look over in the epistle, first epistle of Peter over there. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 18 and 19. Listen to this. Peter says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. There was a price that had to be paid because you know what? I messed it all up big time. You know what? And may I suggest that you probably messed it all up big time too. Yeah. 
And so there had to be a price paid. And who's going to pay that price? You know, I would love to own a Rolls Royce and a nice private jet to get around on. Anybody else? That would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice. But you know what? The price is too steep for me. Are you listening? There's a lot of things we might wish and like like to have, and in and of themselves, there's not necessarily anything wrong with them. You know, God doesn't care if you have stuff. He just don't want stuff to have you. You know, I, you know, I found out you cannot have hardly two nickels to rub together, and stuff can still have you. But anyway, that's another topic. But, you know, I'd love to have that stuff and be able to fly around, drive around. That, wouldn't that be great? But you know what? The price is beyond me. The price for my sin was beyond me. Even if I had been willing to die for my own sin, it wouldn't have been enough. It wasn't enough. There's no bargain basement salvation. Just because it's free, just because it's by grace, just because it's by mercy, doesn't mean there wasn't a price, a and a price that is beyond our comprehension that was paid by Jesus at Calvary. It says He suffered and He died. He bore our sins. He bore our sicknesses. He bore our judgment and the wrath of God because of our wrongdoing. And it says that now because of that, what? God is freely offering us life, forgiveness, acceptance, provision, the Bible says that we who have received Jesus become heirs of God. Woo! Glory to God. I mean, what if you got a registered, certified letter in the mail that said, you know, you've just been included in Gates' will. Boy, you'd be happy about that, wouldn't you? Come on, y'all acting so holy out there. You know you'd be happy. You'd be happy. The last will and New Testament given to us by the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, you are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. Why? Because we've been redeemed. And I don't have time this morning to tell you what all we've been redeemed by, but we've been redeemed from the punishment and the penalty of sin, redeemed from death, hell, and the grave, redeemed from sickness, poverty, and lack. That's a good start right there, isn't it? woo Man, you know, if, if you got that, if we go back to my example, if you got that in the mail, it was certified, it was genuine, you, you know, you'd probably get a safe deposit box. You'd put that thing somewhere safe, wouldn't you? We need to take this wheel and put it in the safe deposit of our spirit, our heart. It's precious to us. We've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. I said we've been redeemed. 
Oh, Jesus paid the price. There's no more price for sin to be made. There's no more price to... You can't be better accepted than in the beloved, in Jesus. There's no better acceptance. There's no greater righteousness. The Bible says when we receive what Jesus has paid the price for, we are given or imparted, imputed the righteousness of God. Now, how are you going to get more righteous than God? You can't do it. Isn't that right? There's no such thing as more perfect than perfect. By definition, perfect is it. He's perfect. His righteousness is perfect. He's, that's what, when God looks at you as a believer, that's what he sees. Mm. We're redeemed. We're reconciled. That means that we're brought back into harmony with God. 2 Corinthians 5. Turn over there a moment. We're talking about the redeeming power of God's mercy. Not only redeemed, but we're reconciled. Now, I know in this modern day, especially most of the young people, that you don't keep a checkbook. How many of you don't keep a checkbook? All the young people raising their hand. We don't, we don't really that much. We have one, but we don't really keep one. Isn't that true? You do everything online. Isn't that right? You just do it online. Yeah, but, but really, we keep up with our account online, too, even though we're of a different generation. <laughs> See how I phrase that? But, you know, <clears throat> when, we used, when, when there was no online banking, you had to, every, every month, you had to reconcile your checkbook. In other words, we also called it balancing the checkbook, didn't we? That's where we had to make sure that our outgo didn't exceed our income. Otherwise, it became our downfall. That's still some people's problem today. Just a little clue there. When your outgo exceeds your income, it's going to become your downfall. But he said, this is what he's saying. He said he was reconciled. We're brought back into harmony with God. God balanced, if you will, my checkbook, my spiritual checkbook. I owed a debt that was impossible for me to pay. Talk about in the red, Thomas. Woo. I was in the red. Beyond sight. But Jesus paid that price for me. Now look here in 2 Corinthians 5. We're talking about the restoring power of God's mercy. For as by one man's disobedience, we know that was Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now, turn over there. I told you to turn to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read that one too. I hadn't forgotten. Let's look over there, 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> Jesus has paid my price, he has reconciled me back to God. Listen to this. <clears throat> that is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling, reconciling the world to himself. Wow. See, this is the good news we go tell people. Listen, God's not mad at you. Your debt's been paid. Isn't that right? 
Go back to my little example again. Suppose you got uh, an email or a certified letter in the, in the bank said, uh, we just want you to know that your mortgage on your house has been paid in full. Oh, yeah, we'd be happy. I know y'all sitting there all like, yeah, you'd be, you'd be doing your happy dance. If you didn't have one, you'd find one. <laughs> Isn't that right? Or maybe you're a student and you got, got an email that said, all your student loans have been forgiven. Woo! Oh, my goodness. I remember those student loan days. God will help you pay them. I said, God will help you pay them all. But boy, we'd be happy about that, wouldn't we? Well, this is what he's saying. God has reconciled the sins of the whole world. Wow. Can you imagine? In the natural. I wonder how much debt there is in the world. I've never Googled that. It's got to be a lot. I wonder if there's enough income to pay off all the debt. No? <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. I don't know. But you think about right now. This is just right now. But see, this happened 2,000 years ago. And not only looking forward, but all those who looked ahead to Calvary, their sins also were in this. Remember Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. We know David saw his day and rejoiced. I mean, if I can look back to something Jesus did by faith, and be saved, certainly you could look forward to it, couldn't you? <laughs> Absolutely. So think about everybody that's ever lived. Let's just put it that way. He said he's reconciled. He's paid their debt. Wow. No wonder we call it amazing grace. Holy cow. He was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Listen to this. Not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us who already believe the word of reconciliation. Not the word of condemnation. Not the word of judgment. Not the word of get your act together. Who are you telling them to get your, their act together? You couldn't get your act together. Come on. Might as well say amen or oh me. We're talking about God's mercy here. Reconciled. This word also, reconciled, means to exchange. Means to exchange. You know what he did? Jesus took all my sin, my guilt, my judgment, and he, he took that from me, and I got all his righteousness, all his peace, all his joy, all his goodness, all his everything. It was an exchange. That's what happened at Calvary. He took everything that I owed, all my debt to God, once and for all. And in return, He gave me all His righteousness, all His sonship privileges, everything He gave to me and you. Amen? And finally, restored. Restored. Let me read just one more scripture here from Titus. We're talking about God's 
restoring mercy. <clears throat> In Titus chapter 3 over there in Titus. <clears throat> he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to restore us. I want to get over there and read this. It's a powerful, powerful scripture. Titus 3, but listen, now listen to this, verse 4. But when the kindness, remember we talked about part of mercy was what? Kindness, showing kindness. But when the kindness and the mercy and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Just give it up. The best that's ever lived couldn't do it. Just give it up. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He's restored our peace, our place, and our purpose. The Bible says, being justified freely by faith in Jesus, we have now received God's peace. The peace. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. It's peace. What would the world give for peace? Think about all the troubled souls. I mean, not to mention just what we would call us regular people, whatever regular means. I don't know what that means. You know. But think about all the troubled souls, the ones that, that are institutionalized, the ones that are depressed, the ones that are, that, are, that are taking, you know, they talk about so many antidepressants being, you know, handed out every day. Think about if we had that peace, they had that peace. He said, the peace that passes all understanding, peace in your mind, peace in your emotions, peace in your heart, that's the peace we're talking about. Our place, he said, we're heirs. We were never created to be outside looking in. We were never created to be outside looking in. We were created to be a part of the family of God. God loves you. God created you for a purpose and a place, and that place is to be by His side. That place is to be in His family. That place is to be, be accepted and know that you belong to Him, that God's not mad at you, that there's nothing that separates you from Him ever again. Mm. And then finally, our purpose is restored. Our purpose. You know, we say it here at Passion Church, we say, that our purpose is to know Him and to make Him known. We receive all the benefits of His mercy restoring our lives. And the Bible says now He's given every one of us a ministry. And He said it's a ministry of reconciliation. Years ago there used to be a, a program on TV 
when I was growing up. Uh, I don't remember exactly the name of it. Of course, it won't sound much now, but you've got to remember, 50 years ago, a million dollars would probably be like, you know, 50 million today or something. But there used to be this program on TV, and this guy went, went around, and it was his job. He gave away a million dollars. He just, you know, he'd come up, and he'd just knock on the door, and you give. Wouldn't that be a great job to have? Holy cow, wouldn't you love to have a job like that? Man, every day you got up, today I'm giving away a million dollars. I'm going to, today I'm going to help change somebody's life. Their life will never be the same. That would be a pretty awesome job, wouldn't it? Woo, glory. <laughs> you know what? The Bible says we've been given a ministry greater than that. Of reconciliation. To tell people, look, God is not mad at you. God has so much He wants you to have. It's free. There's no catch. There's no fine print. There's no exorbitant interest rate after the first year. You ever get those things in the mail? You know, where they, you know, I hate it because they send these things in the mail, some kind of, you know, they call it a loan check, and all you got to do is sign it and deposit it. I hate that because I'm thinking, what if somebody else signs and deposits it? I got one of those crazy things in the mail the other day, you know, you know and I always get a chuckle out of it because I look down there, you know, in the fine print, you know what the interest rate on the sucker was? 48 point something percent interest. That ought to be illegal. It's definitely immoral. <laughs> Holy cow. But see, up here they got, you've got a check. It's free. Cash this. Use it for anything you want. See, that's where they. And then way down here in small print, you know. If you make payments on this, it's going to cost you 48.24%. Holy cow. And they, do, and they act like they're doing you some favor. But with this reconciliation, God's reconciliation, there is no strings attached. There's no fine print. There's no expiration date. And he says that each of us freely offer that. He said freely offer that. The reconciliation between God and man. So that what? We'll no longer have to be on the outside looking in. But we're going to be a part of the family. We're going to be a part of God's plan and God's purpose. We're going to live out our life filled with His life, His peace, His joy, and His goodness. Amen? This is the restoring power of God's mercy. This is what Easter is all about. And you know, I'm glad that we have a specific day where we on purpose celebrate this. But you know what? For, for we who are believers, every day is Easter. And every day 
we can offer this same message, this same hope, this same reality to people all around us. Listen, don't try to straighten everybody out. Don't try to get everybody else's ducks in a row. You're, I mean, you know, I can't get mine in a row, let alone get yours. God didn't, God didn't say, I've given to you the job of straightening everybody's life out. He said, I've given you a ministry of reconciliation. Let God do the straightening out. That's way over your pay grade and mine too. Way over my pay grade. But you know what? I can just give it away. Wouldn't that change your outlook? I'm going to get up today and I'm going to give it away. Somebody's life's going to be changed today. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give away forgiveness. I'm going to give away mercy. I'm going to give away God's righteousness. I'm going to give away reconciliation. I'm going to give it all away. Man, you just, you know, you're standing in the line waiting to be checked out, you know. Man, you say, man, man, man. You just kind of start talking out loud to yourself, you know. I wonder who I can give this free gift away to. People like free gifts. They like that kind of talk, don't they? A free gift. Free gift. Man, give it away to as many people as you can. Don't, you know, don't give them a theological quiz before you give it away. (laughs) Yeah, you know my testimony. I didn't even get saved in church. I got saved in an appliance store. And the guy who told me about this good news used to sell me drugs. That's all out of cra- That's crazy, ain't it? That can't be right. But it is because it's free. It's free. This morning, I just got news for you. If you've never received this free gift, it's free. It's free. You can have it. You can have it. Now, here's the, here's the only thing. You got to want it. You got to want it. My, my mom, she's gone on to be with the Lord now, but my mom grew up during the Great Depression. Anybody ever studied about the Great Depression? You know about the Great Depression. And, you know, and it, it imprinted my mom. You know, I could tell. Man, she, I mean, you talk about somebody that could stretch a dollar bill. You talk about somebody who saved, who, I mean, you know, it affected her. It affected her. And I can remember, you know, uh, you know, when I grew up, you know, like I told you, uh, we didn't have a car or a phone or a TV. I didn't even have some in- indoor plumbing until I was in the seventh grade. We didn't have a bath. We had a path. Some of y'all have to Google that. But I can remember my aunt would come by, uh, you know, when she went grocery shopping or something, and she'd pick up my mom and give my mom a ride because we didn't have a car. And I can remember, it, it's so funny now, mom trying to give her $5, you know, for gas. She'd give her the five and she'd throw the five back. And oh, it's okay. She'd give her the five and she'd throw it back. She'd give her the, and it was whoever, you know, if mom could get out of the car before she could throw the $5 back at her. You take it, no, that's okay. You take it, no, that's okay. Because they both grew up in that time. See, we don't, $5, you wouldn't think anything about it. 
But see, it, it can be that way with God's gift. See, God says it's free. You say, oh, I don't deserve it. Yeah, I know that. That's why it's free. Yeah, but I don't know. See, you have to receive it even though it's free. Isn't that right? And the way you receive it, the Bible says, is simply by faith. Not by feeling. Not by figuring it out. Not by I measure up or not. Not where I'm good enough or not. It is just simply. <laughs>